We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 36 of the That's So Mets podcast. It is the pre-opening day episode. Finally, some real baseball is about to be underway and a lot going on as always with the New York Mets. feels like since we launched this show, the Mets are always in the news for something, whether it is the uh, we have the Francisco Lindor contract extension talks getting very, very public this week, something that Joe and I We'll definitely get into, and of course, we're going to make some predictions today. That is the theme of the show. We're going to obviously predict the Mets' record, what some of the players will do, how this roster will really, really uh, produce or not produce throughout the season. We're going to answer plenty of your questions, a lot of them opening day related. Baseball, you know, really a great sport with a lot of traditions, so we're going to get into that. But off the top, we have some news before I bring Joe in, and he's going to comment on it as well. The That's So Mets podcast is growing, and we are really, really excited to be partnering with Blue Wire Pods. So we will be a part of the Blue Wire Podcast network going forward. I don't think that'll change a ton for you, the audience. I don't think you'll necessarily notice a huge difference or change of direction in the show. It's the same old show that you've been getting and hopefully really enjoying. A lot of opinions from Joe and I, a lot of analyzing the game. And as we've been promising, guests and a lot of analysis on the MLB draft. So if anything, it'll only help the show grow and get bigger and better than it has been. So with that being said, Joe, what's going on? We're just a few days away here from opening day, finally. I'm ready for real baseball. I truly just can't wait. We've been doing this podcast and like we covered some baseball at the end of the season last year, but it still like last season just didn't feel real. I didn't I, I didn't know how seriously to take everything, but I'm ready for like 162 games marathon. Let's get it going. And then with Blue Wire, yeah, super excited to be able to partner with Blue Wire. And, you know, like Connor said, it's not going to change anything for you. The podcast is going to hit the same feeds that it hits now. Your subscription's not going to have to change. Uh, it's just going to help the podcast grow. And, and frankly, I think we have to thank our listeners because I think – one of the reasons that this opportunity even came up to be able to partner with Blue Wire was the support that we've gotten from all of you. Uh, otherwise, you know, why, why would they want to partner with just some little old Mets podcast? But I, I think we really have to thank everyone for the support and, you know, continue continue to share it with your friends. I know I see plenty of you, got, you guys out there tweeting us and, and sharing the show out because I see people saying, you know, oh, I'm looking for a Mets podcast. And I'll see a response that says, you know, see at that so Mets pod. So really appreciate all the support. I think we're Connor and I are really looking forward to a huge 2021 for the podcast and for content that we're just going to be able to create uh, as the season goes on. So can't wait to move forward with Blue Wire. And yeah, let let's let's get into some 2021 predictions and whatever else we got to talk about because I'm ready for baseball, man. I'm just super juiced up. 
That's exactly right. I mean, a big thank you to the audience. The show will get a lot bigger, and we believe a lot better throughout this season. And I think there will be more of the That So Mets podcast. Right now, you'll get your episode every you know, Tuesday evening if you sit and wait on it, but most likely Wednesday morning and throughout the day. It's always ready to go. And we love to do the emergency pods, and we'll do a lot more reacting kind of pods and a lot more announcements from there. But let's get into baseball because that's why you're here. That's why everyone's hopefully excited right now. I'm just going to kick it off with, uh, I would not call this a hot take, Jail. This is more of a rational prediction, a level-headed one, I would like to say. But after the big spring he had, I'm excited to watch Pete Alonso this year. And I think he hits 43 home runs, which is crazy that that might underwhelm some people. Like, wow, that's but that's incredible power. <laughs> I think he hits 43 home runs. But more importantly, I think we see new career highs in on-base per- on base percentage and batting average for Pete this year. I just think we see a better approach at the plate. I think he's going to understand that guys are honestly going to throw him a lot of junk up there, and he's going to have to take his walks, and he's going to have to try to get on base to let these stars, this star-studded lineup, drive him in. I still think the home runs will be there. You know, not the, the rookie season Pete that we saw, but one of the better home run hitters in the league with that number at 43. But more importantly, a young player taking big steps to improving his approach at the plate. And that's something that I'm excited to watch play out this year. And I obviously hope I'm very right about that. Pete had an awesome spring and he he looks locked in and ready to go. You know, you hope he didn't waste his bullets, quote unquote, in spring trading. But I feel great about Pete this year, and I don't have any issue with this prediction. I mean, Pete hitting 43 home runs is a massive number. He hit, you know, 53 as, as a rookie, but if he's going to hit 50 home runs a year, he's going to be the greatest home run hitter in baseball history, basically. So if he if he could get to the 40, I would, I'd be even more than happy if he hit 38 home runs. Like, I'm looking at Pete, if he could be a consistent upper 30s to low 40s home run guy that's plenty of power for me but the on-base percentage and average I think is definitely very important for him like you said he has to trust the people around him and lay off because these guys will eventually have to pitch to him it's not like behind Pete Alonso is guys who can't hit so they're just gonna throw him breaking balls in the dirt be at, you know all the time because you don't have to worry about whoever behind him if he draws a walk so they're eventually going to have to pitch to him as long as he can show the ability to lay off some of these pitches. So I think it's important for Pete to really hone in on that discipline at the plate. And I have no issue with your predictions that he could set career highs in on-base and average for sure. I think Pete's in for a massive season. And my first prediction of the year, Edwin Diaz. I, come on, you guys know me. If you thought I was going to do a 2021 season predictions that didn't include something about Edwin Diaz, you're new to the show. Edwin Diaz will lead the National League in saves and make the NL All-Star team. I want to believe that, and I don't think it's crazy at all. And when I look at that, the reason for hope is Diaz was very good last year, and besides his first year with the Mets, Diaz is obviously been one of the best uh, closers in baseball. Two, the opportunities should be there. With this Mets offense, this Mets rotation, he should have opportunities to close a lot of games. I am walking on pins and needles. I don't know why. I don't know if... I think usage scares me a little early on, Joe. Is that something that that has 
you know, a little fear for you with Lugo being out and some question marks in this bullpen? Yeah, I, I think a little bit because who are you turning to beyond Trevor Bay, right? So you have Diaz, you have May. I think I think we're we're at the point where we have to lump Miguel Castro in as a late inning guy here. From there, it's what's Jerris Familia, what's Dallin Batansis, Aaron Loop. Robert Gazelman somehow made the team again. <laughs> We're going to talk about that later. Yeah, too. So, crazy. Somehow, somehow he made the team. But no, I I think the the workload has a, has a chance to be a little a little heavy early on Diaz. I think that's certainly worth worth mentioning. But hopefully Lugo is getting back soon. Unfortunately, I mean Louis Rojas said he's not throwing yet. So I, I think if there was some optimism of Lugo coming back in April. Uh, I'm I'm ready to say that's probably unlikely at this point if he's not even throwing yet. Yeah, I listen. I look at this, and that's my one fear. I think he the opportunities will be there. I'm with you, and I know it's kind of fifty fifty split between the fan base. But I'm a big believer that Diaz can absolutely be elite. And I think my only concern is, and it's not right to just you know throw blame on him a lot of guys struggle with this is I think he'll have a high usage rate early on and I just hope the Mets are very very mindful of that seeing his problems when pitching in back-to-back scenarios so that is one that we'll absolutely keep an eye on because I think it's an underrated storyline with this team if Edwin Diaz is very good again this year like he was last year that is a colossal difference maker for this Mets team that should have a lot of leads And one reason I think, once again, I have another offensive prediction that they will have a lot of leads. Jeff McNeil had a quietly miserable spring. Batted 109. You know, I know there were some errors there, but I'm I'm really just talking about at the plate. He got hit eight times. So bizarre to have 55 plate appearances and get hit eight times. It's uh, one of the strangest things I've seen in spring training in a long time. I don't think any of this will matter honestly for Jeff McNeil he's somebody that I'm not worried about on the in this lineup at all I think McNeil hits 25 home runs which will be a career high for him 2019 he hit 23 I think we've seen some more power from McNeil or signs of power he's obviously bulked up I don't think he'll be that guy that's in the batting title hunt I I don't expect him to be hitting you know whether it's 330 or hovering around that all year I think we'll see McNeil more as a 300 guy with a little bit more pop. And I think he plays a sneaky good second base. I think it's something we don't talk about with McNeil because he's not a true outfielder, not really a true third baseman, and he looks out of place at times in those positions. Not terrible. And he has flashes of great plays. But I think McNeil settling into second base, no Cano on the team this year, is a very, very good thing for the Mets in the field. And I just don't think his spring will carry on. And and not all these predictions will be overly optimistic or crazy. I guess most of them are because this is this show's theme is we're excited for opening day. But I think McNeil uh, will really turn it on when the season starts. Yeah, Jeff McNeil is one of maybe just a couple players in the lineup that regardless of what his numbers were in spring training, like I didn't even really look at them, to be honest. I wasn't paying attention because I just know McNeil can hit. I know he's the best pure hitter on the team, and he's going to hit when the lights come on. He's going to be just fine. 25 home runs, to me, is actually quite realistic. Like you said, in 2019, he hit 23, and he looks physically bigger. He looks like he's in tremendous shape. He definitely has you know, put on some mass. So I think 25 home runs, very realistic. 
and then defensively at second. I mean, he's that's his best defensive position. So the Mets are the one of the, I guess, benefits of Robinson Cano not being around was one, the money, and two, McNeil's a better defensive second baseman than Cano is. So he he's been a above uh, a plus OAA defender at second base for his whole career. So he's going to be an actual positive at second base defensively. So McNeil, you know, I, I want to say in for a big year, but I don't want to use that term too much. So I think McNeil's in for a very strong season. I think you'll see some pop to your point, maybe some dip in the batting average. Maybe he's more of a 290 to 300 kind of guy, but let's not forget he gets on base at a huge clip too. So he's going to get on base. He's going to hit some pop and He's he's gonna be able to play second base at an above average level. So McNeil's in for in for a fun year for sure. And, and what I'll go with next is a little positive, a little negative. But you know, looking ahead, uh, the Mets obviously had wanted to replace JD Davis at third base all off season, and really just never found the right fit to be able to do so. So the Mets will piecework third between JD Davis's bat and let's call it defensive deficiencies and a guy like Luis Guillorme's glove and potential for some deficiency at the plate. They'll piecework it until July and the Mets big acquisition at the trade deadline will be Chris Bryant from the Chicago Cubs. Man, I, that one, it makes a lot of sense and you're right. It's almost that by predicting this, what I think a lot of people would be excited about you're also predicting that J.D. Davis might just not be an everyday player, especially in the National League. And I think there's been some flashes of really good improvement from him at third base in the spring. But I'm with you, Joe. It's just hard for me to buy in that he's going to be the everyday answer for a team that clearly is very proactive on solving all of their issues. We saw that in the offseason with how many moves they did make. And two, the fact that it just feels like it's the inevitable, like you said, like you even wrote word for word in the rundown, that Chris Bryant is moved to the deadline. It's hard to imagine the Cubs getting an extension done with him. It's kind of hard imagining the Cubs just holding on to him for the second half of this year to make one more run at things, although possible unlikely and that means they got to get something back for him and the amount of contenders in baseball that probably feel less confident about their third base situation than the Mets it's got to be somewhat small so I I like this prediction because it might seem like wow that's a long shot like you're you're not only predicting that they're not confident in JD or Guillaume full time or whoever it may be, but you're also naming the exact player they acquire. But I, it's something we talked about a lot in the winter, and I think you're really onto something there. So my next prediction is not nearly as complex as that, but it needs to be said. I think the Mets finally win games for Jacob Degrom this year, and my goodness, it is about time. It's as simple as that. You look at Degrom, four wins and twelve starts last year, shortened season. 11 wins and 32 starts the year before that. 10 wins and 32 starts the year before that. While he had a 1.7 ERA. That is so hard to do. And it's not even like the Mets were like abysmal. It's just that they gave him nothing. 15 wins and 31 starts the year before that. And even the year before that, 
Seven wins and 24 starts. 3.04 ERA. They just don't win for him. It's really mind-boggling. I think it's this is finally the year where that changes. I think this lineup will be motivated and fresh and so, you know, I, I think there's just so many productive players in this lineup across the board. Not, hey, two through four or, hey, three through five. Like, across the board, that somebody gets it done for DeGrom. I guess my big question is, can he pitch deep into games where he's not putting it on the bullpen to get him to the finish line? It's hard to do that in this era of baseball, but DeGrom is obviously somebody that has shown he can do that. He can pitch into the seventh inning. He can maybe get to the eighth inning and try to hand it off to Diaz or when Lugo is back. But either way... I think anything less than 15 wins for DeGrom this year would be a massive disappointment, and it's hard to imagine a place where we're putting any of the blame on him. Yeah, I, you wonder if it's something mental here, that with the if the hitters press on the days that DeGrom pitches. It, or it's the not bullpen like, gets nervous. Or the bullpen, or the bullpen gets nervous, because it's not like DeGrom faces off against the other team's ace every time. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And... You know, I'll believe it when I see it, I think, as far as his win total. But I'm hopeful that this year the Mets will win more of DeGrom's starts. Even if DeGrom doesn't end up getting the W himself. Um, My hope is that the Mets win more of DeGrom's starts this year. I mean, ultimately, it's he, he hasn't won the games in years and years. It is a different team, but... I'm not completely sold that he'll win more than a 15. And to your point... Not his fault. You know, DeGrom's going to be a Cy Young winner or Cy Young candidate. You know, as long as he's healthy, that's going to happen. There's no question there. It's just a matter of does he get the quote-unquote wins? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure there, but they got to produce more on the days he pitches. He gives them the easiest opportunities to win, so they have to produce with the bullpen in the lineup. Those games should be Ws, whether DeGrom gets them or Familia gets them or Aaron Loop gets the W, whatever. You got to win DeGrom starts. He puts you in position to win every single timeout. And I'm going to go with a positive one now that Brandon Nimmo will score over 100 runs. He'll get on base at an over 400 clip, which I don't think that part's all that shocking. This one might be. And he will end up a league average center fielder. That's a big one. If we can get Nimmo to be a league average center fielder, that alone is... And I mean, have you noticed it? It feels like... Now, I know they've said... I believe they said he's been playing deeper. Yes. Do you notice yep. improvement this spring? Because it felt like there was a lot more like really impressive plays from Nimmo in center field than we're accustomed to seeing on a day-to-day basis. There's no question Brandon Nimmo, I mean, you don't you don't need to be a scout to recognize that Brandon Nimmo and frankly most fielders are more comfortable coming in on a baseball than going back on a baseball. And, and Nimmo I think said himself that he at times was playing 30 feet too short in center field. And it, he's a guy that you need to utilize the analytics of sorts and position him correctly but in the spring he looked way more comfortable you saw some diving plays 
He robbed a home run. I think, you know, he doesn't have the big-time athleticism that, that a center fielder, you know, a plus center fielder will have. So I think by positioning him correctly, you have the opportunity to potentially make him league average. And if he's a league average center fielder while scoring 100 runs, getting on base at a 400 clip, popping whatever 15 home runs 10 15 home runs doesn't even have to be a you know he had some pop in 2020 but you know doesn't have to hit a ton of homers you know that's like a four to four to five win player like that's a super super valuable asset so I'm, I'm interested to see how the success in center from spring training transitions into the season but maybe there is some room for a little hope and you know we dumped on him all offseason as a defensive center fielder, and we weren't alone in that. He just he wasn't good, and there's no way around it. But it's uh, I'm going to be a little optimistic. We're a couple days from opening day. Hope springs eternal, all that good stuff. I, I think if they position him right, there's an opportunity for Nimmo to be league average in center. Man, that would be a difference maker. And if he gets over 100 runs, I mean, you look back to 2019, the last full season we had, that's the territory of scoring runs at a pace of like an Alonzo, a Soto, big time names. And it's not it's not a crazy prediction because of the lineup he's in, the fact of how much he gets on base, and the fact that he'll lead off. The He should be getting driven in that much. No doubt about it. All right. Uh, my last prediction before we get to the records, and I know you have one more as well, Joe. I had to do some some old classic research for this one. And this is by far... The shoot your shot, hot take prediction in the show. Maybe too optimistic. Don't care. I'm having fun. I'm a Mets fan. Opening days this week. I don't care. The Mets will have five starters with double-digit wins for the first time since 2000. The 2000 rotation that did that was Mike Hampton, Al Leiter, Glendon Rush, Rick Reed, and Bobby Jones. And those guys didn't even have, like, good ERA. Not all those guys had good ERAs at all. They just scored a ton of runs that lineup. So the, And the guys that I think do it, DeGrom, got to have at least 10 wins. Stroman, you expect him to have at least 10 wins. Taiwan Walker, I know he's had trouble staying healthy in the past. I think we can get him to 10 wins. I think we could do it. Peterson, I know he's young, but if, if he's what we saw last year or even improves on that a little bit, could get you 10. So then you're sitting there going, well, who's the last guy, right? And 10 wins is nothing crazy. It's just hard to have... Starters one through five do it. I don't think Cindergard will have the usage or be back in uh, in time to get to ten. I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't see it. I think Carrasco can get to ten, and I know he's missing at least five weeks. I know it's a lot to ask for him to even stay healthy after that with what he's been through these last two years, or really the year before that. But I mean, from 2015 to 2018. 14 wins, 11 wins, 18 wins, 17 wins, all with an ERA hovering right around 3.3. So, and even last year, 2.91 ERA and 12 starts. Like I said, DeGrom made 12 starts last year. Carrasco makes 12 starts. 2.91 ERA. If he even hovers this year when he comes back around a between a 3-2 and a 3-6, and the Mets offense is what we think, it's okay that he misses a, a month or so of the season. I think we can get him to 10. So like I said, this is the shoot your shot prediction. It would be the first time in 20 years, over 20 years, that they've done this. But man, that would be exciting to see. 
I do think it's possible, and I think when when we get to our predicted records, it'll kind of tell that story a little bit. Exactly. In a sense. Like it's tough to get to the win totals we're talking about, and somehow manage to spread out that many wins. But w- pull back the curtain here a little bit with the rundown. Um, I find it funny that you spelt Peterson like Doug Peterson, the former <laughs> coach could, of the Eagles. You can tell you where did, I am right yeah. now. <laughs> it's NFL draft time. So, yeah, you, you put Peterson, so that was very funny. But, no, I, I don't think this is unrealistic at all. Um, will it happen? Maybe, maybe not. But If it I, does, I, things went yeah. really well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it could happen. You know, hope that's – that's banking on a lot of health. That's the one that's the one issue that I'd have is you're banking on a lot of guys not getting injured. Um, and maybe it happens. Maybe this is the year that the Mets get the injury luck of not losing losing guys for, you know, substantial periods of time. But obviously you have Carrasco out for at least a little bit here. Um, I know he's throwing and Louis Rojas said he's looking good. So maybe Carrasco's back a little sooner than I kind of implied last week and I'll, I'll be honest when it comes to injuries and things like that you'll you'll learn to know this that I always lean super conservative when I talk timelines for people coming back because there's nothing I hate more than setting expectations that oh he'll be back in three weeks and then it's five I'd rather say it's five and then he's back in three it's just like oh well good he got back a little earlier than my expectation so hopefully Carrasco's back by I don't know, maybe it's the beginning of May or mid-May instead of late May. So it, it could happen, but I, I like the research that you did. That I mean, you had to go look back at 20 years of things. I bet you didn't expect to have to go back 20, did you? No, I almost <laughs> I almost quit. Yeah. I was on Baseball yeah. Reference, and I was like, previous yeah. season, previous season, yeah. previous season. And, you know, because then you also have to check. Not that you get a lot of relievers to get 10 wins, but you got to check sure. the bullpen. So I'm like, okay, it has to be starters only. Yeah. And it's just it was funny when I did it because I knew it would take me a little while and I knew it would be like wonky with what I found. But when I yeah. finally got to one, I was so underwhelmed by the staff's stats. Like, sure, Mike Hampton, everybody remembers Mike Hampton was really good that year. It was prime Mike Hampton, three one four ERA. Uh he wasn't even really striking out a lot of people. He was just getting out 15 wins Al Leiter 3-2 ERA 16 wins then you get to Glendon Rush all right 401 ERA and he's your number three Rick Reed 411 ERA he's your number four Bobby Jones wins 11 games with a 506 ERA (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't great yeah that's hitting that's hitting right that's hitting for you yeah and even that was Turk Wendell had eight wins that year yeah so Taiwan Walker's got to wear that. Taiwan Walker's got to wear that shark tooth necklace. I know he said he was gonna, but I haven't seen him do it. So he's his he's Abby gotta... with the black jersey and the necklace. Oh, yeah, is so dope. Oh yeah, it's we incredible. didn't even talk about the black jerseys yet. Oh yeah, black jerseys. They're they're coming, man. Um, uh, I, I'm kind of indifferent to be honest. I don't love them or hate them really. It's it's cool. I mean, it brings me back to my childhood. You know, that was the teams that I grew up on. Really, I remember vividly black jerseys. So from that perspective, I'm cool with it. But I didn't think the Mets necessarily needed needed to add anything to to the uniform cycle that they have. But I'm cool with it. From you know, especially with this year being 
the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and the black jerseys, the first game back, all that stuff, all, all that stuff, you know, really plays into it. So I'm cool with it. Indifferent. Um, not, not a huge deal, but I'll tell you if, if they look really fresh, I can't say I won't buy one. Oh, gotta have one. Gotta yeah. have one. If that Lindor extension gets done, I just tell me how and I'll get yeah. one. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think they're doing it in a really tasteful way where it's like on occasion, yeah. It's not like, hey, this day every week or like, hey, it feels like it's it's a very special occasion situation. I yep. think how excited the players are is really the most important thing. It really is. They're really excited. Yep. I, I know we're like, you know, we obviously grew up loving this team. We're fans of the team. We do a show on this team. But it feels like the Mets are kind of cool again after – and of course, 2015 World Series, like that was a young core, that the pitching core that was exciting, and like there's been, but getting out of the Wilpon era, getting into the Cone era, putting the foot on the gas, it just it's it is something that's an extra layer to it that I think is a nice touch. Yeah, in 2015, the Mets were really good, but I didn't feel like they were like a super cool team right like i didn't feel like they had you know super swaggy guys they were they just were a fun story That's they, what were, they fun, were i mean they were i mean Sesmus was super swaggy the whole yeah. year like they really yeah. turned it on and then when they got into the postseason they shocked the hell out of two teams that nobody yeah. thought they'd shot it was a fun story yeah. but nobody thought the mets were going to the world series that year yeah yeah, no, that's true. And obviously, Cespedes changed the game. And then Daniel Murphy had the big playoffs and they had the pitching to back everything. But like you look at the team now and you have, you know, the the big time swag with like Stroman and Lindor and even Taiwan Walker. So it feels it definitely feels like this is a cooler team. And speaking of Mr. Lindor, my final prediction before we get to our records, Francisco Lindor will be the runner up to MVP Ronald Acuna of the Atlanta Braves. And win his third gold glove at shortstop. Listen, I hope you're right. Because if Lindor is a runner-up to MVP, and I like the Acuna call, I'm going to go with Soto to win the MVP this year. But I, I'm not going to sit here and say you're crazy to pick Acuna, who's just incredible. There is so much young talent in the National League when you go through the MVP, um, you know, front runners. Yeah, and, like... You yeah. don't even mention Bellinger and guys right? like that. So many good players out even there. Even P has sure. become like this ultra dark horse. His odds were yeah. like, I, I might be wrong on this, but I could have swore I saw them at like plus 1,800, which I know wow. Pete is a long shot, but yeah. it's not the craziest thing. Like young yeah. slugger on an exciting team where a lot of guys will be on base form. I Listen, if Lindor is even in the conversation, I think a lot of things are going right for the Mets. So I hope you're right. Gold glove at short for the Mets. Man, would be amazing, would be awesome. Uh, I hope they get this extension done. And it's I'm going to go with the record, get right into the record prediction. I know you have one as well. I think they go 90 and 72, and I think they get finish second place in the division behind the Braves, and I think they make the playoffs, which I know it's not what everyone wants to hear. If the Mets make the playoffs and they win 90 games and they lose to the Braves who are just I think a little further ahead. I know not everyone agrees with that. I think they're just a little further ahead. I would be pretty excited this year. Well, Connor, you can be the pessimistic one. I'll be the optimistic one. What a world. The, <laughs> the Mets will go 93-69 and 69 and win the National League East over the Atlanta Braves. I have the Mets ever so slightly 
better than I do Atlanta. I have more, like the questions we have about the Mets pitching, I have actually a little more question about Atlanta's pitching. And I, I think the I think the Mets have a great roster, man. I, I don't think some fans, uh, you know, you do obviously, and you know, I'm being sarcastic when I call you pessimistic, but um, I do think the Mets have a really good team that fans are just poking holes in. And man, like top to bottom, this lineup, there isn't a hole in the lineup. I mean, you could argue third base maybe a little, but when that, like, that's still at least league average. It's not like they have a black hole at third base. It's just maybe not ideal. Um, the bullpen is going to be the question. That's really what it comes down to for me. I think they're going to get enough starting pitching. They have Cookie coming back, they have Noah coming back, they have some depth with Yamamoto and Lucchese. The bullpen's going to be the biggest thing for me. And, you know, I think when, you know, I was talking about the deadline before training for Chris Bryant, I think it'll have to be like a two, two-fold trade deadline where you go and you get a, a reliever as well. So the, the bullpen is, you know, the bullpen can really put the season down. I'm confident in Edwin Diaz. I'm confident in Trevor May. Beyond that, you know, I liked what Miguel Castro did in spring training. I need to see that transition over. I think Aaron Loop is fine for what he is. He's, you know, a lefty specialist that, you know, you'll make it work. But outside of that, I don't have true faith in any of these guys until Seth Lugo comes back. So the bullpen is really going to be, to me, the deal breaker as to how this team really finishes. If the bullpen struggles, uh, they're they're not going to win 90 plus games probably. So I'm going to be optimistic and say I think the bullpen will hold hold serve a bit until Lugo gets back and then they'll be in a better spot and and then come deadline time they'll make they'll make a deal with some non-contender for their closer or setup man and and add to that bullpen listen I'm all for it and I you know maybe it is just the pessimist in me that I can't predict and come out and say hey the Mets are gonna win the division it's just so giving, hard it's so hard you're giving do. them you're giving them 90 wins Connor you're yes. be, you're being up you're being optimistic you're just saying Atlanta's a tick better I don't think that's yeah. being pessimistic at all in, in reality that's hey Atlanta has won the division for a few years now so that they're they're the top dog until they're not and I I'm just going to be optimistic and say this is the year they're not. But if if uh, your prediction is certainly not unrealistic by any means that the Mets finish second, get one of the wild card spots, and maybe you end up even playing Atlanta and then see how that goes. All right, let's get to the fun stuff. And that is the questions of the people. Patrick Chamberlain with the first one of the show. I, I had to start with this one. It's just a, it's a perfect question for this week. What are your plans for watching the opener on Thursday in terms of food and beverages? I only ask the important questions. Yes, you do, PC. So, <laughs> I, I have to say, as excited as I am for opening day this year, I have had some of the wind taken out of my sails for two reasons. One, it stinks that it's on ESPN and A-Rod is on the broadcast. That is horrific. I mean, could not be... A worse situation in terms of broadcast. Nothing against ESPN, honestly. I, the uh, you know Buster and Vazergan and and even you know the the camera crew does I think personally a pretty good job. Like it's just I don't want to listen to a Rod. Number one, most importantly. Number two, I love SNY as much as anyone else. So that's number that's the big problem. Why I'm I'm not as excited as I normally or should be. 
Number two, it's at night. One of my favorite things is in a pre-pandemic world is at whatever, whether it's you know 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock at the Bleacher Report office, everybody's sitting around, and everybody's got their team on. And the Bleacher Report office is this really weird thing with baseball where like during football, it's like you got a lot of Jets fans, you got a lot of Giants fans, and then a little bit of everything else. Baseball, you would be surprised. It is pretty balanced across the board. You got your Mets and Yankees fans. But there are tons of Red Sox fans, there are Pirates fans, there are Braves fans, where it just felt special, and it also felt like, all right, we're going to pump the brakes on how much we actually work today, because it is opening day, everyone's got their team on, everyone's excited, everyone's cheering, going nuts, and even not being in the office right now, as hopefully the pandemic is winding down, I love watching baseball during the day, and I especially love watching baseball during weekdays. So, I know I'm nitpicking here. I will be going as nuts as anyone when we're about an hour out from first pitch on Thursday night. But those are the two things that that are kind of killing my vibe. I'll just be at home. Uh, very, very excited for food and beverages. That is a work in progress. It's, I could see wings and some kind of cold IPA to just slowly take me through the first couple innings. What about you, Joe? <laughs> So in regards to the A-Rod, I just envision him crapping on the Mets throughout the game. Just Dude, how are they doing them. this? I don't like, know. Like when McCann comes up for the first time, be like, oh, Mets free agent signing James McCann. Yeah, you know, they really probably should have went for JT Realmuto. <laughs> and you're, you're going to hear, I, I have a feeling you'll get some subtle jabs from A-Rod. So it's going to be kind of awkward, but whatever. I'm, I'm thinking about muting ESPN and mirroring it up with, uh, Howie and Wayne on the radio and listening to Howie and Wayne and watching. Um, think about maybe doing that. But as far as food and beverage, I like, so obviously I'm not going to be going to opening day this year. Uh, I've gone every year before last year for, you know, the last 10 or 12 opening days. I go to every opening day that I could. Obviously those are home openers, but this is just regular opening day. And I'm going to, I'm going to prepare as if I'm at the game. So we did this last year at my place. We're going to, you know, grill up hot dogs and hamburgers and stuff like that. Uh, buy shock top. Cause I always end up with shock top at city field for some reason. Cause I just go to, you know, a regular concession stand. I don't go to big apple brews too much. So like I go to a concession stand and like I pick shock top over like Bud Light or Coors Light or whatever. So like, I think, I think we'll get some shock top, grill up some dogs and burgers and, you know, make it feel as if we are at the ballpark despite not actually being at the ballpark. And then just tough through the ESPN broadcast. But just be excited that it's game one of 162. The Mets are back. And, yeah, just act like I'm at the ballpark is kind of my deal. I like that strategy. I, you, I'm i trying to think if I've ever been to opening day. I don't think... Oh, you have no, you, to. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. I remember... A ton of us at the office were going to make plans to take off opening day, I would assume, last year. And, of course, so my first planned opening day was kind of kind of canceled <laughs> abruptly. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll happen eventually. I just, man, I love it. It is exciting. But I do feel like, especially since they're away, Joe, don't you feel like there's two opening days this year? Like yeah. the SNY <laughs> home opener 
yeah. then also the actual opening day of ESPN at an away ballpark. No, for sure. And I, I don't like someone's going to tell me it. Someone's going to tweet me and tell me I'm wrong. It feels like the Mets open at home every year. Um, I, I, I don't, agree. I, I don't know if it's true or not. They probably don't, but it feels that way. And that's the story I'm sticking to is that it definitely feels like there's two opening days this year. Well, you just had me open up the um, New York Mets opening day history on baseball oh. almanac. If I can get it open, we'll revisit that. I don't know what's going on there. Anyways, we'll go on to the next question. This one's from Mark. What Mets jersey are you wearing on opening day? So this I have not decided yet. I currently have three, uh, I'll say adult Mets jerseys, right? I don't. That's what I have left uh, that will fit me. So I have, the only current one I have is Pete because got to represent pete i like i said if the extension gets done i will get one of the the alternate jerseys of lindor but then i have doc gooden and daryl strawberry so i'm undecided i don't think i'll wear doc because i've worn that one so much and i feel like i kind of got to go with the current player so i'll probably rock the pete jersey joe i feel like i can guess that you're going to wear the brand spanking new lindor jersey am i right yeah, for sure. How yeah, my mo- my mom was nice enough to buy me a Lindor jersey for my birthday a couple weeks back, and yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna be rocking Lindor, and you know we'll 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 touch on and the extension stuff a little bit before the show ends, but uh, I think I think I'll be wearing the jersey of a very 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 rich man. Yeah, I think um, I think you can't go wrong with that. I don't know. So you know, I've been even thinking like him. This is just a so the t-shirt day, but got to do it special for for opening day. Do you have any non-Mets jerseys, Joe? I have one. I don't have any non-Mets baseball jerseys, but in football, I have jerseys of players that I like that are not Dallas Cowboys. I'm a, Obviously, I'm a Cowboys fan. I have plenty of those, but in football, I feel like I dabble a little more. Maybe it's because baseball, I'm a little, I'm more diehard than I am for football, where it's like, I'm just a Mets fan. I don't want jerseys of these other players. I don't I don't care if I like them. Uh, yeah, I only have Mets jerseys for baseball. Okay. Well, I have a Tim Anderson jersey. Interesting. Yes. I love not only do I I yeah. love Tim, he's one of my favorite my favorite player in the American League. I feel like it's like it's okay to go American League, like a non yeah. I'm not going to wear a National League jersey because I love the Mets. I feel like it's okay to cross the line and go American League, and I just think the White Sox actually have incredibly clean uniforms, quietly. Yeah. I know it's just black and white, but there's something about it that it's a clean uniform. I am a little – and I won't do it. The Tatis Padres jerseys are nice, oh, man. Oh, the Padre- <laughs> That's a, those yeah. are nice jerseys. I love the Padres jerseys. I know it's very uh, hot button that people either love them or hate them. Huge no, fan of the, of the Padres All of them. jerseys for there's sure. There's not a bad yeah. one, I don't think. Nope. Yeah, no, they – their jersey selection's really sweet for sure. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. So, all right, this one from Alex. Do you feel that Cohen being the wealthiest owner in baseball will actually harm them in signing players? It can feel as though players have been or with Lindor currently are asking for a premium from the Mets knowing how rich the franchise is now. So, I don't have that fear because you have Sandy and Zach Scott that are really weighing in on the actual baseball decisions to Cohen. I think that number one, my whole take on the Lindor thing is you guys know how pessimistic I was for a while that I just had this weird, bad feeling that 
Lindor really wanted to hit free agency. It sounds like that's not the case. It sounds like that he obviously is very willing to stay with the Mets. The deal just has to be insane. I think that, and maybe I'll be wrong in two days. We'll find out. That this is a last push to get the most possible. Like the deal was never going to be more than twelve years. I don't think it'll be more than ten when all is said and done. We'll see. I think this is just one of those. Hey, we got some time. Let's see if we could squeeze a little bit more out of the Mets. So I don't. I don't have that fear for the question you're asking, Alex. I would be curious though what Joe thinks. I don't have the fear in signing players per se, but I do. I do have some fear of te- of agents using the Mets in a yes, sense for for the, interest. Yes. Uh, but I I think that Cohen's money is the reason the Mets will be able to sign who they really want to sign. So I I look at it from that perspective where it's agents might use the Mets money as a way to drive up the price for their clients. But if it's a player the Mets really, really want, then Steve Cohen's money will only be a benefit, not a negative. And he'll, you know, be able to sign who, who he wants to sign. And again, Sandy said this at the beginning when he came back with Steve is that they were going to prioritize the acquisition over the cost. So I don't think Steve Cohen cares if he has to pay an extra $2 million or whatever to get a guy. I don't think that really moves the needle for him. I mean, think about it. He was saying, uh, I, I, did you watch his thing with Wayne Randazzo where he did the Q&A, the Twitter Q&A last night on YouTube? Yes, a lot of the clip outs because I yeah. can only, my attention span can only do so much of that. <laughs> So he was talking about the luxury tax, and he's like, yeah, I'm not afraid of luxury tax. I mean, I was ready to go blast past it for Trevor Bauer. He's like, but I don't really see the point in just barely going over it and then having the penalties for going over in multiple years. He's like, when I go over it, I want to go over it. So I don't think he's afraid to spend the money, and I think his money is only going to lead to them signing more players. But on the other side of the coin, you'll see guys that even if they don't really badly want these guys the Mets will get used publicly for their money to help other players get money elsewhere I think we saw it happen a lot we saw them being linked to Oda Rizzi a lot and then you would hear that they hadn't talked in a month it went on for almost every single player throughout this free agency so I'm with you on that that it definitely will be an impact in terms of you're just going to see the Mets there'll be attempts to use the Mets a lot of those aren't very successful especially um, you know, obviously smart teams know how to navigate around that. So I think when you look at it, going back to the Bauer thing, we don't have to agree with it, right? Like we were like, why would you go over the tax for Bauer, but not Springer? But at least it's a good sign that, like you said, there is a clear willingness to spend big, right? Now it's like they, they made a lot of additions this year. But they were just getting up to the salary line of like, hey, we're a big market team in a big city. We can go up to this line. They're obviously willing to be one of the top dogs in baseball if they're willing to blow past the, the tax at that rate. Uh, I, once again, I will sneak it in every time I can. I'm very glad they did not do that for Trevor Bauer. They tried, but I'm very yeah. glad they did not do that for Trevor Bauer. Same here. And I found it interesting that Cohen even said he was like, yeah, we tried for Bauer. And honestly, I thought we had him. So, like, it was to that point that Sandy, Cohen, everyone thought they had him. And, you know, I, I still think they dodged a bullet. We'll see how good Bauer is. And uh, But, yeah, though, to the overall point is 
the Mets are going to be a big time spender. They're going to be a top two, three payroll team in, in the league going forward. So just be prepared for the Mets to spend money. That's, uh, that's what I'll say. Last question of the pre-opening day show is from Johnny. How do you guys feel about Gaselman making the roster? Personally, I can't help but like the guy and thinks he works as the 26th man, that innings-eating reliever. Plus, it seems like he fits in really well with the clubhouse. So, Johnny, I don't disagree with you in any way that, one, I root for Gaselman. He kind of came out of nowhere and had some early success. He's been really thrown around in so many different roles, right? Starter, long reliever, high leverage guy, like... Back and forth, back and forth. It's very hard to be successful in that situation. And sure, he could eat innings. And he it, it seems like he is very well liked. He seems like a likable guy. I just, I've lost all faith in him on the mound. It feels not on the level of Batanzas, although maybe it should. But when him, him or Batanzas are on the mound, it's just, you're almost surprised when they get through an inning. And, that, and I'm not saying that in like a, a mocking way. In all seriousness, when they get through an inning, I sit there and go, wow, Like it feels like that just doesn't happen a lot anymore. Now, and I'm curious your thoughts to weigh in here, Joe, on on this part. I don't know what the clear-cut answer was if you didn't keep Gesellman. I guess Montgomery, because Gesellman has options. Is that what you would think? That's exactly what I was going to say. Is So why I know did they Mon- do that? Montgomery had a bomb. He got bombed in his last outing. I don't know if literally that last outing was the the deciding factor, but he got crushed. Tough world. And then all of a sudden, you know, he he was opting out and released or whatever, however they kind of word the transaction. But my thought process was, let's keep Montgomery, have the second lefty that also can eat innings. Gazelman has the option. Let's send him to the alternate site. I mean, whether he made the opening day team or not, Gazelman was going to throw innings for the Mets in 2021. So I would have just preferred Gazelman there in Brooklyn hanging out, waiting, you know, before the AAA season starts, and have Montgomery be that long reliever slash second lefty out of the pen. And, you know, the Mets decided to go a different way. And, you know, I, I hope Gazelman could show a little bit something. But to me, I'm like you. I don't really have confidence in him. And... I have the expectation when he that like he should be pitching in like mop up duty essentially like all right you know whoever whatever pitcher gave up four runs really quick and you want to drop him out you know you throw Gazelman in there and hope he doesn't give up four more and just eat some innings to get it out of the way so I'm not overreacting to it it's the last guy in the bullpen and his option certainly has the ability where if he does think the Mets could send them down and bring somebody up, you know, if it, when Drew Smith gets healthy, I think Arotis Viscaino is going to have a role with the team this year. So they, they're going to have some some options. And, yeah, I didn't think Gazelman would make the opening day roster, but at the same time, I'm not overly stunned that he did. Yeah, it feels like one of those moves that at the end of the day, the relevance of it is kind of like, eh, you shrug your yeah. shoulders, right? Like, yeah. You, I mean, we're not yeah. if the if it's three three in the seventh inning on in you know any game of the the opening weekend opening series. I don't think they're throwing Gaselman out there. I'll just say that like it's not. I, I don't think it, you know you look at it and go oh god, but it definitely is underwhelming in a sense of like oh man we're gonna we're gonna try that we're gonna run this one back uh, one more time. I think you know man the bullpen the way it shook out you know Jacob Barnes kind of an interesting name like obviously Castro is the guy that we're really 
we're really having hopes for right now, I think, that can be high leverage guy. Like, is there any, do you have any big bullpen takeaways as this thing closed down? I think Barnes is going to be the opener for Joey Lucchese. I think they're going to utilize an opener most of the time for Lucchese starts. Why? Because Lucchese has a history of being awful the third time through a lineup. Interesting. So if you if you have an opener, then it's unlikely that he would get to the point to get to the third time through the order. I think that's basically the premise of the opener. So I think you're going to see Barnes as the opener for Lucchese. Maybe not every time through. Uh, but at least some of the times through. And the Mets tested that out at the end of spring. He Barnes was the opener, struck out Soto and someone else. He had two strikeouts, perfect inning. And then Lucchese came in and did his thing for, you know, four innings or whatever. And then you're on to the bullpen. So I think that might be the plan early on until some of the starters get healthy. And Barnes has good stuff. And I know Jeremy Hefner's super high on him. Um, they've been doing some stuff analytically with him that to help pick up his cutter a little better and, you know, teach him to throw his fastball up. So there's there's some hope there with Barnes, but all in all, the bullpen to me was rather unsurprising. Kind of is what it is. They need Seth Lugo back. That's really what it comes down to. Is there any reason they didn't give Sean Reed Foley like a real look in the in a pen roll? It's a good, good question. Um, I think they envision him as, you know, a, a lower part of the 40-man roster guy. And just a guy with some stuff that they wanted to work with more before they kind of really committed to a spot to him. But yeah, no, I definitely think that's a name to keep an eye on because he's obviously on the 40-man roster. He was realistically probably the headliner, maybe, of the Steven Matz trade. But yeah, I think they just had him lower on, on on the totem pole. But, you know, he's going to get the chance to go to the alternate site in Brooklyn, or probably Brooklyn, they haven't announced, but I would assume Brooklyn. And then once the minor league season opens, you know, he'll just be a part of AAA Syracuse. I mean, maybe they'll start him. I mean, that's a possibility, too. They might have him in the rotation in Syracuse, too. So maybe they still want to see if there's something there with him as a starter. I think he's a reliever, but that's kind of the only thing I could think of is that he was just lower on the totem pole, or maybe they want to give him a shot as a starter and give it one last go before you just go, okay, he's definitely not a starter. My fun fact of the day, uh, besides the the five double, you know, five starter double digit wins, Sean Reed Foley, uh, only one of two players to make a major league appearance from Guam. Did you know that, Joe? I did not. I had no idea where Sean Reed Foley was from. Well, yeah, he was born there uh, while his dad was in the Coast Guard. But gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I I think I'll close out each show with with a fact that people. Who's the other one? Oh, man, I have to pull it back up. It was not anyone relevant. Let's take a look. John Hattig. He played 13 games in 2006. He had eight hits in 29 plate appearances. So Nice. Well, good for you, John and Sean, the the two representing Guam. Um, yeah, but but before before we head out, uh, I really wanted to touch on the Lindor extension a little bit with some thoughts because uh, we're coming down to the wire, of course, and Twitter is ablaze. Steve Cohen, all right, man, you don't need to keep tweeting, <laughs> like you, you can chill a little bit. But I am of the belief, and you know, you're gonna listen to this podcast, and either I'm gonna be cold takes exposed or whatever, or or I'm gonna be right. I think a deal's happening. Um, 
certainly you can go back to, there's a couple things that we look at here. One thing that, not really Lindor specific, but it goes back to last March. Andy Martino from SNY tweeted, um, no, not last March, uh, March of 2019, and said, Meanwhile, Mets and DeGrom still trying, not close to deal as of this afternoon, talks ongoing. They agreed to a deal 12 hours later. All it takes is one phone call for this to change. It's not... I know that people are looking at the numbers that came out. The Mets offered 10 years, 325, and Lindor wants 12 years, 385. And let's play in a world that those numbers are exactly correct. The Mets and Lindor, I know people are going to think of it like there's a $60 million gap. That's not how I and... Frankly, I don't think that's how teams look at it either. Payroll is a year-to-year thing. You're not dealing with the total value of a contract. Like, yes, of course, it is $60 million more over the whole package. But the Mets and Lindor have essentially agreed on what his AAV is. The Mets offer of 10 for 325 is 32.5 a year. The Lindor counter of 12 at 385 is 32.08 a year. So Lindor's deal is actually very slightly, just, you know, a neg- certainly a negligible difference, but a very small difference lower in AAV. He's looking for those two extra years. More often than not, when negotiations break down, it's over money, not length of deal, more often than not. So from my perspective, this two-year thing, is a it's a gap that can be bridged. Whether that's the Mets throw a couple option years on the end, or they meet in the middle, maybe they do 11 years. Or maybe Lindor's just playing hardball and his intention is to come down to 10 and just squeeze maybe a couple more bucks and make it 330 or, or something like that out of it. I, I can't imagine Francisco Lindor literally passing on $325 plus million dollars to go to free agency in a year where we're negotiating a new CBA, in a year where Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Trevor Story, Javi Baez, all shortstops who also are free agents. To me, I think it's a lot of noise. Steve Cohen making all these comments on Twitter almost make me think, like, he's got to be screwing with us. There's no way he's being lighthearted about this for an extension to not happen. And with all the numbers that are out there, Francisco Lindor is not going to get the warm welcome that everyone thinks he is at City Field if he does not sign an extension and the word is, and it really is out there he turned down 325 million dollars there's going to be New Yorkers that are not happy with Lindor and I see it in my mentions that they're not happy with him they're like you should be taking this deal and in my opinion he should be trying to maximize the deal as much as he can this is probably the only contract Francisco Lindor is going to sign for the rest of his career, realistically. I mean, if he signs 10 to 12 years, you're taking him to, you know, 37, 39, you know, end of the run. So I think it's going to get done. To me, it feels like they are incredibly close and both sides have pressure to get this done for the reasons I mentioned about Lindor and, you know, Steve Cohen. I mean, you said it last week or a couple weeks ago, whenever you said it. Steve Cohen wanted to make a statement in his first winter as Mets owner, or first year as Mets owner. And trading for Francisco Lindor, to me, is not the statement. 
trading for and extending Francisco Lindor is the statement because the Wilpons could have traded and stomached Francisco Lindor for a year at 20 whatever million dollars. They could have pulled that off with Cano off the books. They could have even done that. The difference with Steve Cohen is, all right, I'm going to go trade for a superstar player. I'm not going to rent him. I'm going to pay him before he plays a real game for me. And I'm going to give him 300 and something million dollars, which the Wilpons would never, ever, ever have done. So I think there's pressure on Cohen to do so. I think there's pressure on Lindor. To me, the stars are going to align here in the next whatever hours. There's a lot of noise going on. I think a deal is going to happen. I'm, I feel actually quite confident that one will happen and not source stuff, just more a gut feeling here. I think it's going to happen. It just, it's way too logical. I just, if you told me the Mets were offering 270 million, then we might be having a different conversation. But if the Mets are offering 325, it just would blow my mind to have Lindor turn that down in New York City, all the marketing opportunities, everything that comes along with it. His agent should be like, all right, let's just hold firm until we have to. And we'll budge one way or another. And you got to get it done. You can't advise. It would be foolish, in my opinion, to advise Lindor to go test free agency months from now. I just don't I just don't know how much more money he could possibly get. Like, you might get a little more, but is that worth it? Dealing with the stress and, God forbid, he gets injured this year. What if, I mean, there's not, not saying someone doesn't slide into his leg or whatever. There's many of things that could happen. And... He, that 325 could quickly become a third or less of that if something crazy happens. So he's he's got things to think about. And, you know, I think I think we're going to get a deal done. I know you're not quite so optimistic. But, yeah, I, I wanted to get some Lindor stuff off my chest. And uh, I think let's relax, people. I even tweeted today, just enjoy your day. Don't freak out to every tweet about everything regarding Lindor. You know, we're it's going to it's either going to happen or not happen. And baseball's baseball's going to go on whether he has a deal or doesn't have a deal. Opening day is going to be just as exciting whether he has a deal or doesn't have a deal. But for my own sake, I'd say there's pressure on both sides to get get a deal done. And when that's the case, ultimately, I think cooler heads will prevail. And you know, we'll be. I don't know if we'll emergency it or not. I guess it depends when it happens. But uh, ultimately, I think we'll be we'll be talking about Francisco Lindor. The long-term Met, not Francisco Lindor, the potential lame duck Met. Well, it's really, really well said. I mean, I think when you look at it, you know, like you said, you're not even just guessing or, or you're connecting dots of they got the hard part out of the way. And that is that number one, Francisco Lindor is interested in being here for the rest of his baseball career at age 27 years old. The second hard part is what are you worth per year? They've gotten that out of the way as well. Like you said, Joe, figuring out the term should be something that is amendable, that everybody can find middle ground on. Now, will they do it? Will the Mets draw a hard line in the sand and say, we're not going past 10 years? And will Endor's party say, hey, we don't care. We'll match or beat this on the open market next year. I think that's a lot of egos at play. And I think that both sides would be making a mistake. If they went to that number one, I think Francisco Lindor can be a absolute rock star of New York City for a decade. And 
you're not just talking about baseball opportunities. You're talking about setting up a life here and, and really carving out a part of this town, the sports part of this town in a time where the opportunity has never been bigger. So I think, you know, there's there's no more Derek Jeter. There's no more David Wright. The Jets and Giants, their quarterback situations right now are fluid, I would say. You know, so I, the Knicks have been a nice story. The Nets might win an NBA championship, but it's different with baseball in this town. And if Francisco Lindor's sitting there and saying, hey, I want to play till I'm almost 40 years old and you want 12 years, I get it. I You don't want to, hey, I'm going to play my last two years somewhere else. Like nobody wants to do that. And if you don't want to hang them up, like this gives you all of the control of your Lindor of saying, because there'll be a no move clause in this deal, understandably, that you know, you you have the choice to play until you're ready to step away and do it where you want to spend the rest of your uh, baseball life. So we'll see where it goes. I hope we're back on the air with you, talking about a Francisco Lindor extension, breaking it down, excited for the the current and future face of the New York Mets. And same with Michael Conforto, which there's been no buzz about that at all. I There's this weird part of me that hopes one just comes out of nowhere. And that would be really exciting uh, for a Conforto extension. But you you nailed it, and we'll see where it goes. I am trying to be cautiously optimistic, as hard as that can be for me with all of my teams. But, hey, it's opening day week. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everyone, for sticking with us and, and being a part of this show evolving and growing, as we said at the beginning, and a new era of Mets baseball. So let's go Mets. And we'll catch you real soon. Okay, parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get on all on rates as low as 0.99% APR for 60 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.